Are you ready for the preaching of the word? Yes? Let's get started. We're going to be in Luke chapter um, <clears throat> 15. We're going to talk about um, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, and how it connects with, with this uh, building culture here at Laredo First Assembly. We talked a little bit about it last week, and we're going to still build, uh, set some building blocks for the weeks to come. But um, since COVID, you know, church has been very different, and um, we haven't been um, <clears throat> able to meet for several months as a church because of distancing and the city ordinances. And then when we opened up um, <clears throat> in the summertime or late summer, um, you know, people were slow to come back to church. As you can see, we're slow to come back to church and they're watching online. And so that, that type of dynamic really messes with the culture of, of an organization. And you might not like to think of a church as an organization, but it, it really is. And, and so uh, we're going to start talking about what our culture is going to be like and uh, in the future, in 2021, if the Lord should tarry. You know, what kind of culture do we want to build? And I, I think Luke's going to help us do that. Um, <clears throat> so Mark chapter 12, verse 29 says, I know I said Luke, but we need this verse here. It says, the most important one, Jesus answered, and he's talking about the most important law to obey is this. He says, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. These two commandments, to love God and love your neighbor. It's where we get our discovering love, developing lives mission on the wall. Like you ever wonder like, why is these words on the wall? Well, it comes right out of Mark uh, chapter 12. It's the word to we're to discover <clears throat> um, the love of the Lord, and also we're to love one another, build each other up, developing lives. And so we're going to love God, and we're going to love our neighbor. That's what the Bible teaches. Love God and love our neighbor. Do you love your neighbor? And I'm not just talking about the one that can do something for you. I'm not talking about the lovable people. Those are, those are the easy people to love. Can you, do you love the people that can do nothing for you? The person that that, that can absolutely help you in zero way. Those are, those are the people that we need to love too. That's what Jesus says. He says there's no greater commandment than that. And we want to be a church. We want to be a, a church that sets that type of culture where we love people whether they can do something or not for you. We're going to love them. And so the parable in Luke 15, <coughs> Jesus talks about lost things. He talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin but we're going to talk about the lost son. So the three things that are lost. And uh, it starts off in verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all with Jesus. Excuse me, we were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So you, you see that Luke begins to build attention. And um, <clears throat> how many of you are familiar with the, with the story of the prodigal son? Me familiar. Okay, we got a few, not, not a lot. So I'm going to read the whole story to you so that it, the context can make sense. In verse 11, Jesus continued. This is the parable that he's teaching. The parable that he's teaching is there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, 
there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of, the, of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up after he rehearsed his speech, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Remember, Luke said he had, there was a man who had two sons. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, he's back safe and sound. The older brother began, became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never, oh, excuse me, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you kill a fatted calf for him. What an attitude. What an attitude the older son had. And Jesus replies in the parable. He says, my son. The father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and to be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives and in our heart. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this church. And as we unpack and and, and we dive into your word, God, there's decisions to be made. There's choices that you're gonna ask us as a church. And Lord, I pray that when we come to that point, that pivotal point, God, that we choose you. We choose to honor you. We choose to obey you. We choose to do what you've called us to do. And God, I pray for those that are watching by television or some device that they're using. God, I pray that there's, there's complete uh, <clears throat> attention, Lord God. All distractions will be put aside. And Lord, they would focus on what you have to share with them today. God, we thank you for your anointing. We thank you for what you're doing. In your holy name we pray, amen and amen. Well, high five your neighbor and say, welcome home. <clears throat> or not. <coughs> I, I love this story. Most people, they read the prodigal son and, and they, they put the emphasis on the return of the son. They say this is the climax of the story. The son returns home, and, and 
the father throws this great celebration for him. And I'm, I'm going to challenge that this morning or this afternoon. I don't think that's where the climax is. I think the climax is when the father and the older son have a disagreement. And, and, and the whole time we look at this story, if you've read it or you've been in church all your life, you're like, we celebrate the return of the, of the prodigal son because it really relates to our life. Like we've abandoned God at some point of our life and we've come back to him. You know, we've all been that prodigal child. I get it. I get the celebration of it. I, the narrative really strikes emotion. But what Luke is trying to teach his reader, uh, Theophilus, I don't, if you remember the very first chapter, Luke's writing to his friend Theophilus. And so he's, te- he's trying to get Theophilus to see something here. And what he's trying to get him to see is that Jesus <clears throat> is confronting the religious people. He's confronting the religious people. He's not confronting the sinner. Isn't that just like Jesus? He's confronting the people that have the bigger issue. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That was his whole mission to come to earth, to redeem us, to, to, to reconcile us back to the Father, those that want to be reconciled, those that have a heart after God or want to repent. He's here. And then there's those that just, they, they're just not going to choose God for whatever reason they might have. <clears throat> and so Luke opens the story with this tension. And the story, the tension is, is there's two groups of people. It says the, the tax collectors and the sinners were with Jesus. He was eating with them. He was celebrating with them. He was enjoying their presence, if you will. And then there's these other groups of people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Luke puts them right in verse 1 through 3. He puts them right there. And why does he do that? He does that to build the tension so that we can see that immediately there's there's this conflict. There's a conflict between the religious people and, and the sinners and how Jesus interacted. And so when you look at this story, you have to see what Jesus is doing. He's giving you a new way to the Father. He's saying there's a different way to connect to God than the way you have been doing it. And you, meaning the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, if you're not familiar who, who the Pharisees are and the teachers of the law, well, these guys would be your modern-day churchgoers. They would be us. You and I would be considered Pharisees or teachers of the law because we have been sitting in church for years and some of us for decades and you've heard all the stories about Jesus and you've, you've read all the prophets and you knew that, that Jesus and you believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God and God raised him from the dead on the third day and, and he ascended to the father. Like we believe that. <clears throat> you and I <clears throat> are modern day Pharisees and, prof- and, and teachers of the law. So Jesus was dealing with a very religious group of people because they knew what the prophets had said. What did the prophets say? The prophets said that Jesus, the son of God, was going to be born to a virgin, and he was going to be born in Bethlehem, and and he was going to have no place to rest his head as a baby. They knew all that. They knew that they would, the prophecies said that they would try to kill him at a young age, as an infant all the way up to two years of age, that they're going to try to kill him. 
That's what the prophet said. They knew that the prophet said that he would be a son of a carpenter. They knew that the prophet said that he would come out of Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. They knew that the prophet said that he would be the one to, to, to reconcile the people of God, the Jews, back to the Father, that they would be saved because of him. They knew what the angel had spoken to Mary. These are those people. They knew what the Hebrew law had, had, shared, had, had been given to them. They knew the law of Moses. They knew the ceremonial washings. They knew all the things that they needed to do, just like you and me. We know. We know what to do. And so there's the conflict, the tax collector and the sinner, and then the religious people. And there they are at conflict with each other. Why were they at conflict? Well, because Jesus was eating with the sinners. That's what they said. Why does he eat with the sinners? And if you read the Gospels, you'll find that all the time. You'll find that the religious people were so bothered that Jesus was always eating and drinking with the sinners. Always. So bothered by it. And to the point where they, they eventually kill him over it. He loses his life because, of, because he, would not, he would not comply to their way of thinking. They eventually kill him. We know that no man took his life, but Jesus laid it down. And so here, here's, here's the, the rest of the story. There's this conflict that Luke presents. And why, why is it a conflict? Well, because Jesus is eating with sinners, and there's the religious people. And so what do the sinners do? They sin. They, 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 they have no regard for God. They have no regard for the things of God. They, they have... They have zero tolerance for religious people. They don't want to be around us. They don't want to be around our rules or our regulations. They don't want to, they don't want to hang out with us on Saturday night watching a PG movie. No, they don't want to do that. They want to be at the bars. They want to be drinking with their buddies. They want, they want to be at a party. They want to, that's what sinners do. They want to go out and have fun. That's what they do. And what, what do the religious people do? We get so mad at them. How dare those people act like that? Why would they act like that? Well, they act like that because they have no regard for God. It's simple. It's kind of, let me, let me make it practical for us. It's, 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 it's like today. We have, we have this conservative group of people, Right? I don't know if you're conservative or not, or what, you, what your political view is, but you have this conservative group of people, then you have this, this, this liberal group of people, this secular group of people. Where do you fall, right? And, and usually in, in the political world, the, the, the liberal secular, secularism has no regard for God, zero regard for God. They think the Bible is antiquated. They, they think that, that, that the Bible is not for today. They think people who follow the, the way of Scripture are, are bigots and, and, and we're intolerant and we have, we have no room, right, because, because the Bible pushes against homosexuality, the Bible pushes against sex before marriage, the Bible pushes against, you know, honoring your parents. I mean, there's a lot of things that the Bible pushes against. It pushes against getting drunk, Right? All these things that the Bible pushes against. And so our culture today, the liberal, secular idea is, well, that, that's not for today because 
because people need to live the way they want to live. And what do we do? As conservative Christians, we get mad and we push back. You see, Jesus doesn't do that. That's what makes him mad. Jesus actually hangs out with the liberal. <laughs> he actually goes where the liberal is and he builds a relationship with them. Can you imagine if all your Christian friends saw you hanging out with all the liberals, what they would think about you? Like, you support abortion now? Like, like you're that group of people? You're like, you're like pro-choice? Y'all are quiet. But you know, the story continues because this man had two sons and, and you know what I love about today? This is a little side note. This is my ADD kicking in. Our, our screen that gives me the time on how, how long I've been preaching, it's broken. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's the Lord's way of saying we can just, we can just tarry here. Um, <clears throat> so, so there's the tension. And, and, and the one son, he does something that's, that's so contrary to the culture. And, and what he does is very bold. And, and he goes to the father and he demands his inheritance. Now, and in, in, so let me give you some, some historical background so that it all makes sense, the context comes together for you. Um, in the Bible time, when there was a, a son born to the father, um, the first son got all the inheritance, whatever the father owned, none of I don't know why the, the daughters didn't, just the sons. Um, the sons got the inheritance and the, the firstborn. Now, if there was multiple sons and that inheritance would be divided, two-thirds would go to the first son, and then whatever's left of the one-third gets divided to the other children. So that's how, that's how it operated. Now, I know today we do things different, right? We have a will, and all of our children get equal stuff, right? I, I already told my kids, like, in my will, I'm going to make it very difficult for you to get your stuff. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you have a scavenger hunt. You're going to have to go find stuff. You're going to have to do things, like, before you get your inheritance. I'm going to make you work for it. And um, I'm going to watch from heaven and just laugh. Um, <clears throat> but that, that's today's culture. It's like we have a will, and we're like, oh, little Johnny has to get the same amount as Susie, right? Because if not, then there's favoritism, and there's going to be heads budding. Like, God didn't, God didn't care. He's like, listen, the oldest son gets two-thirds period. <laughs> the other children, they get one-third, and they let them split it. That's just the way it is, whether we agree with it or not. So when the sun comes up, the, the culture is like, it's very, it's a high-honored culture. Now, that makes sense to us as a Hispanic culture, right? Because I was raised in a house where, where if you back-talked mom, dad would backhand you. That's, that's the house that I was raised in, Right? I was raised in a house where they only spoke once, and if you didn't do it, when they spoke the second time, you got, you got a spanking. I know we don't use the S word in today's culture because then you get reported to CPS, right? And I'm not promoting violence in your home. Don't send me bad emails. I'm just telling you how my home was raised. So whenever dad said, go do the dishes, and he had to say it a second time, I had to do the dishes a second time, but I did it with a spanking, right? That's, how, that's the house I was raised in and because it was the honor of it. And, and my dad will always say, listen, if you don't listen to me the first time, you dishonor me. That was, that was the way he taught us. And you know, I wasn't raised in church at all. I was just, 
That's just, uh, that was a very cultural thing. We understand that as Hispanics. And, and maybe not so much in today's culture, because I've seen some of your children talk to you, and I'm like, mm, in my home, <laughs> that would never happen as I was being raised, right? And so, um, seriously, like, mom, mom didn't play around. If I, if I, I always had a habit of, of just making this, this noise. You ever, you ever have a kid just, like, make that noise? I don't know why, I don't know where I got it from, but whenever I got annoyed with my parents, I'd be like, and I, I did it one time, and, um, you know, my mom just slapped me across the face. Like, that's just, that's, that's the discipline. It was immediate. It was like, it was reactionary, right? Like, what? <laughs> that's it. And it didn't deal with us. And, um, and honor was just huge in our family because even when grandpa came around, if, if we did something that violated what he thought should have been honor in the home, then grandpa would spank us. It would like he would take his belt off and he would discipline us and then send us back to our parents and they would discipline us again. It's like that's, that's the type of honor that was raised in our home. And my dad always said, he's like, listen, son, when you leave this house, you are representing me. And it's always, it always stuck with me, right? When I leave, when I left the house, that I'm representing my parents, Right? So we can tell your parenting skills by how your children represent you. Y'all like, man, I really made my parents look bad. <laughs> right? You're gonna have to go back and say sorry to mom and dad, right? Seriously, it's, it's no different in scripture. Like when you leave this house and you live out there and you proclaim to be a son and daughter of God, how you live represents, right? It represents him. So be careful what you say, right? Be careful what you do. Be careful who you represent. So when we left and my dad would find out that we did something that violated that honor, my goodness, it, it, was, it, was, it was double discipline at the house. It just... Every time we got disciplined, it was always three spankings, no matter what. It was, they came in three. And I, I, don't, I don't know why, they just came in three. But when we did something that dishonored the family, we got the, we got the fourth. It just, it, just, it just was. Well, that's, imagine that type of culture. And I, I, I think you understand because you're, you come from a, we, we're a strong Hispanic uh, population here. And, and <clears throat> imagine our culture times five. That's the culture in which we're dealing with. And, and, and the, fa- the, the son comes to the father and he, he asks his father for a very inappropriate thing because when the father's inheritance was divvied up, it meant the father was dead. That was the only time the inheritance got divvied up. The father was dead. And so when he comes and he requests, he, de- not only he, he demands. He demands his inheritance. He's like, he makes a bold move. He's like, give me what is mine. And when the father, he, he complies. He gives him what is his. And this, the Bible tells us that the son went off and he, and he squandered his living. So you can use your imagination. I, I know every household has that one child that's like, 
Just give me what is mine. I want to go live free. I want to go find my soul. I want to go find myself, whatever, right? Whatever excuse they have, they have to go find something, right? And it's usually themselves, and they're like, they're like spending your money, and they're going off, and they're living wild. They're doing crazy stuff. That one child that just wants to rebel against everything. How many of you have children like that? Am I, am I the only one? My, my, I have three children, and there's one that just that just pushes back all the time. I'm like, I, I wasn't gonna tell you who it was, um, but I already told the first service, so I might as well. Um, my son, he's the oldest, and he's like, I'm like, do you need another tattoo? Like, do you need another, like your body's not a canvas, like can we stop? He's like, yes, I need it, right? And, he, and I, I can go on and on about the pushback between me and my son, and, and I'm like, son, like just do what I tell you to do. He's like, Dad, literal words, I'm a grown man. All right, that, that's, that's their favorite line once they grow up. It's like, I'm grown. I can do what I want to do. I'm like, you know, honor doesn't stop just because you get older. All right? So we always have that conversation, the honor conversation. And then the girls just roll their eyes because they know, they know they're going to spend the next hour listening to me teach you about honor. Like, this is, this is what honor is, right? And, and so that's the, that's the younger brother. He's spending his money. He's living wild. He's going to parties. I mean, he's doing everything he can to just make life happen. And he's, you know, he's the guy that's bungee jumping. He's jumping off mountains. He's skydiving. Or the girl, right? They're, they're the guy that, or the girl that, that drives fast all the time. They're just like, they're crazy. They're kamikaze. That's who the younger brother is. Then you have the other brother, right? The other brother has everything together. Do you have any of those kids, right? And, and that, that happens to be my second child who's visiting today, right? You, if you sit her down and ask her about her life plan, she'll give you a five-year projection. She knows what she's doing, where she's going, who she's living with, right? She, she knows what country she wants to visit, what, what state she wants to go, have her vacation. Like, she'll tell you in detail. That's what she does. And that's the older brother, right? The older brother, he has everything organized. He's like running the family business. He's, he's taking care of what dad had given him. And he's, he's the son that obeys. He even said it, like, I've obeyed everything you've asked me to do, right? He's the one child that's there. They're going to take care of you when you grow old and gray. They're not going to put you in a nursing home. That's the child that's going to spend their life savings on you because they're just, they're just that child that honors you. So be nice to that child. Figure out who it is. And... Uh, be nice to them. And so, you know, that's the, older, that's the older brother. But how many of you know, I don't know if you picked it up in the story, how many of you know that no matter how well the older brother looks put together, he's just as wicked as the younger brother. Outwardly, the, the younger brother is displaying his, his behavior and his rebellion and inwardly, the older brother looks put together, looks like he has everything organized. When you look at the older brother, you're like, man, that, that kid, he's getting into law school. He's going, he's going to he's gonna be a doctor, right? He's going he's gonna to make something of himself. You look at that kid. But internally, just as wicked as the younger brother. And Jesus was, was pointing that out immediately. He's like, you people who are religious, 
who grew up with the scriptures, grew up with the prophets, you were just as wicked and just as lost as the tax collector and the sinner who has no regard for God. You're just as lost. Luke is showing us, he's talking to Theophilus, he's saying, Theophilus, there's two ways people can alienate themselves from God. They can be in outright rebellion and just disobey God and say, I want nothing to do with God, or they can be in the house of the Lord, do everything that God says, but their attitude and their heart is just as wicked as the one who's out there rebelling. That's scary. That should, that should strike fear in every person that is sitting here this morning because you and I are representation of the older brother. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at some point, your journey with God begins to, begins to should mature, your knowledge of God should increase, and you should know, just like the prophets knew, Jesus was saying, he was making this point. He's like, listen, in fact, the older brother was worse off than the younger brother. It's, it's there in the story. When you deal with people that have no regard for God, they, they just, they don't want to, they don't want to um, serve God. They don't want to do anything with God. At some point in their life, they have an epiphany. They have an epiphany. Now, an epiphany is a Greek word meaning they have a spiritual awakening. And when the epiphany happens, that's what this younger brother did. He had an epiphany. He's in the, he's in the, pig, the pig stall, and he's wanting to eat the pig food. And immediately, this, this awakening happens. And what does he say? My father's servants have a better place than this. They at least have food. I can go hire myself out. So he begins to build this speech, right? And he goes back to the father, and the father immediately accepts him, immediately. Like, he doesn't even get done with his speech. He's like, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, and then the father cuts him off, and he's like, listen, go bring the robe, and go bring the ring, and go put sandals on my son's feet, and let's have a feast, kill the fatted calf. All that is imagery, what, what Luke is trying to tell Theophilus. What is he saying? He's like, listen, the person who has the spiritual awakening, the person who has that moment in their life where they're like, I need God, I need a savior, that the, everything is, that heaven owns is given to them. Everything, immediately. You know what the robe stands for? That's, that's a position. That's the position of coming back to the family. So immediately, without regard, the father, what does he do? Jesus says the father put the robe on him. So the son just immediately now is part of the family again. Even though he disgraced the family, even though he rebelled against the family, he squandered the family's wealth off. He had no reason to be welcomed back into the family. He had no reason to be part and just even talk to the father. But the father puts the robe on him. And then he puts the ring on him. And the ring is a civilization of authority and position. So not only does he have the family uh, network, and not only is he part of family, now he gets the authority back. It's amazing. And that authority that comes, then he puts the sandals on him and the fatted calf, like everything immediately gets reconciled. And Jesus is like, that's what I've come to do for the sinner and the tax collector. That's what I've come to do for them. And because I've come to do that for them, you hate it. You won't even celebrate. 
You won't even come in. You've been part of the Father. You have everything that the Father owns. You have access to anything that the Father has. And you are now being bitter against your brother because he was once dead and now he's alive. You can see the spiritual awakening happening. And church, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that we could become the, the oldest son, that we could become callous. We could become jaded. We could, we could be that child that does not welcome in sinners because we think, man, they have to live by these rules and these regulations and they don't do, they don't do what, what, what we tell them to do. They can't be part of the church. Jesus came to break all those categories. He came to shatter that ideology about church. That's why it was so important for us to read out of Mark chapter 12 because we need to know that the command is to love God and love people. That's the command. And so we can easily find ourselves making these rules and regulations for people to live by. And if they don't follow those rules and regulations, then we don't want them part. And Jesus is saying, man, listen, it, when it comes to sinners and tax collectors, they, they have disregard for God. We need, to, we, need, we need to build a relationship with them. You ever notice in Scripture that Jesus, the people that were drawn to Jesus were the sinners? Were the prostitutes, were the people that cheated other people, were the murderers, the people that were drawn to Jesus were the people that had no regard for God. And the religious people were repelled by Jesus. It's, it's interesting. But much hasn't changed. Because they were drawn to the message that Jesus had. People are not drawn to our message so that ought to tell us something, that maybe we don't have the same message as Jesus. Maybe our message is not quite <laughs> like Jesus's. Because the sinners repel the church. They don't want to come to the church. They don't want to be, they don't want to spend their Sunday coming to a place that we call a house of worship, but yet we are drawn. Think about that for a moment. Maybe our message needs to change. Maybe the way we, we evangelize, maybe the way we create culture around here needs to be different so that the sinner can be drawn to it because the sinner was drawn to Jesus and his message. And if, and if, if, if we believe scripture, that means that when you and I get saved, when we give our hearts to God, that means that we have the same message of reconciliation. Read it for yourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that if you belong to Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, and now you become an ambassador for God as though God was making an appeal to the lost through you. And so now your message of reconciliation is from, is from God. And if people are not drawn to that message, then maybe there's something that's incongruent. Maybe there's something that's not quite connecting the way it should connect. And we need to wake up to that fact. We need to wake up to the fact that, that maybe we're more like the older son than we are like the younger son. 
we don't want to celebrate. We like church as normal. We, we like the way we do church. We, we like our programs. We, we like keeping our kids safe and separated from, from certain kids and certain, certain brands or whatever. We're comfortable with that. But can I tell you, that's not what Jesus came to do. Like our church should not only be filled with Christians that love God and would do anything for God, but it should also be filled with sinners, people who, who, whose lives are, 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 are drastically torn apart, people whose lives are falling apart, people whose lives are, are looking for meaning and hope, people who are just given up on life. Like our church should be filled with both people. Listen, you don't, you don't have to tell someone when they mess up. You, you don't. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to tell me when, I, when, I've, when I've, you know, done something that is absolutely inappropriate. You don't. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I, I see the guy in the mirror. I know my routines. I know that when I go, I wake up and, and I go to the kitchen I immediately, I want to eat something bad. I, I don't know why. Like, I know my faults. I know my failures. Like, I come home, and, I, and you know, I've made a, de, a, a determination and a resolve that I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to do good. And the moment I get home, I look for something bad to eat. I know my issues. I know I have an issue being nice. I wake up and say, today... You're going to be kind. You're going to be kind because God commands you to be kind. You're going to be kind because it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. You have to be kind. You're going to be kind. And the moment I run into the first human being outside of my house, I falter. I fail. I'm like, man, but Lord, you don't understand. That person just is retarded. It's like, can I say that? I probably shouldn't, right? You ever have those moments? You're like, oh, my gosh, like this person has no brain. Like, I can't be kind to that. Please, please edit that. I, I know we're in a censor uh, culture right now. We probably shouldn't say retarded. Um, yeah, I can't take that back. I'm like trying to take it back. It just came out. But you, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, I, I try to be kind. It's like it's not working. And you don't have to walk up to me and go, man, you weren't kind, bro. You, you were a jerk. Like you, you were mean. Like you, you should, you should have just, just kept your mouth shut. You don't have to tell me that. Like I know. You know when you mess up. You know when you're, you're, you're cheating your neighbor. You, you know when you're, you're being dishonest in your business. You, you know, you know when you're, you're disciplining your children out of anger rather than love. You know, you know when you're, you're, you're dishonoring your parents when they've asked you a thousand times. Not you know. No one has to tell you. But you know what the church does? We like to point out other people's faults. We're like, dude, why are you doing that? Why do you act like that? What's your problem, girl? Like, why can't you stop? Instead of embracing them and saying, listen, let's talk about why you drink so much. Let's talk about why, why you have to party from, from Thursday night all the way to Tuesday morning. Let's talk about why, why you're in the bar until the sun comes up. Like, let's talk about those things. 
rather than telling them how horrible they are, rather than telling them how much of a mistake they are. People know. They need hope. I promise you, they will have an epiphany like the younger son. And they'll wake up one day or they'll be driving in their car or they'll just get off of work and they'll go, I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to deal with these issues that I've created for myself. I don't want to do this. And you know what? They're looking for the older brother because they know they know that the older brother knows God. They know that, that, that we have the answers. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to point our finger at him. We're going to tell him, I told you so. I told you that you shouldn't have, you know, done that. I told you you should have left that relationship. I told you. I told you, right? Instead of just saying, come, let's, let's love. Let me love you through this. Let me, let me, let me walk you through this. Let me, let me minister to you through this. Let me, let me show you the way. Let me help you. Let me cry with you, mourn with you, rejoice with you. That's not what we do, though. But we need to decide what kind of church are we going to be. Are we going to be the one that, that points the finger? Are we going to be the older brother who refuses to celebrate the, the, the life of the younger brother? Or are we going to be the father and say, listen, listen, I, you're, you were once dead, but now you're alive, and we're going to love on those people. We need to decide. Because that's where we are. That's building culture. We, 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 have to, we have to decide what kind of church we want to be. We could be the church that we are today and go, you know what? We look good. We feel good. Everything's fine. And when it's really not. You know why it's not fine? Because we're not packed out. Is that what church is about, just packing people? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because that every person that is sitting here or watching online represents a soul. Represents a soul. And you and I have a job to do. We have a mandate given by Jesus himself. If our ushers, I mean our ushers, our worship team can come. Do we still have a worship team for a second service? I haven't seen them. Oh, you... All right, she's ready. Someone, someone who can sing. I don't care if you're on a worship team or not. If you can sing, come. Just sing us in the present. Mary, you want to come? You can sing? Yeah. We'll love you through it. Bad notes and all. <laughs> COVID, COVID really messed, messed up a lot of stuff. And it's interesting because it, it, it took a virus to really shake the foundation of a lot of organizations, even the church. I don't know if you realize it, but there, there, are, there are less churches now functioning and operating because of COVID, because it just, it just killed it, it killed it off. People stopped supporting their church. They, they, they stopped going. They stopped watching the, the service online, whatever. It, it, they just stopped. We were no different. We were, we were on the brink of just absolutely shutting down absolutely shutting down because people and when I say people I mean the, the Christian community the Christian community of LFA it was just like you know we either stop 
supporting or we stopped watching. And then, and then when we opened up, we, we slowly to return. And it brought a realization. It, the realization was this, like, are, are we going to be a church that's going to die? Or are we gonna be a church that's going to do what the Father says and live? That's the key. The key is do what the Father says, right? And live. And I believe we're in that position right now. We're in the posturing position. Are we gonna posture towards being a rebellious church and go, you know what, I'm not, I'm not gonna involve myself in, in, in helping the church grow. I'm not gonna evangelize. I'm not gonna do that thing. You know, my life is a mess by itself. I don't, I don't need to engage in that stuff. Or are we gonna be, are we gonna posture ourselves towards God and say, God, you know I'm not perfect and, and you know that we're working through some things and you're teaching me to be kind and you're teaching me to have self-control and discipline in my life but my heart is turned towards you and whatever you say, that's what we're going to do. We, we have a choice in, in the next few weeks to decide like what kind of church are we going to be? What kind of people are we going to be? Because everything hinges on that. Everything. We, we cannot be a church that thinks for a moment. We can't be a church that thinks for a moment we're going to grow without listening to the Father. Absolutely. It, it will not work. I mean, you understand this in the natural. Right, baby? You understand it in the natural. It's like you do what the Father says. You do. Like, think about this. If the Father tells you to do something, that's what you're supposed to do. If the Father says you need to do the dishes, that's what you're supposed to do. Do the dishes. If the Father says it's time to mow the yard, you're supposed to mow the yard. In the natural, we're to obey the Father. But that's not, that's not the culture we live in anymore. We live in a culture where the children call the shots. We live in a culture where the children throw a big enough fit, they cry enough, they whine enough, they get what they want. That the parents, the father no longer has authority. The man of the house no longer has that position that God has given him as a spiritual leader. And because of that, things are crumbling in our society. You can, you can see it. Why is it any different spiritually? Why do you think, why do I think that we can... We can not listen to the Father when the Father says to do something and everything's going to be okay. What makes us think that for a moment? Like he's God. He's not gonna dethrone himself. He's not gonna remove himself. He's, he's on the throne. So you need to know you're either gonna do what the Father says or you're gonna have to step aside. So we need to be a church that decides, are we gonna do what the Father says? Or are we gonna be bratty children and we're gonna whine and complain about everything? We're gonna go like, this, this, this doesn't, I don't like this, I don't like this church, I don't like, I don't like pastor, I, whatever. Or we're gonna say, you know what, this is where God has me, this is where I'm planted, where I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage, I'm gonna do what the Father says, 
And in the journey of it all, he's going to transform my life. So I have one question for you, just kind of, kind of the David question. The Bible talks about God's eyes, right? They, it's, this, it's this metaphor. It says the eyes of the Lord are, 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 are moving to and fro throughout the earth, looking for a heart that's turned towards him. And in the Old Testament, he found David. Now, David wasn't perfect. David had a lot of issues. King David, go read his story. Go, go, go do a character study on King David has some major issues. Let's just say King David liked to party. But there was something about his heart that would always turn back to God. So that's the question I have for you this afternoon. Is where's your heart? Is it towards God? Or is it towards what you want? Is it towards a, a bad attitude like the older son? Or a rebellious nature like the younger son? Where's your heart? So I, if, if your heart's towards God, you're like, look, I, I'm not perfect, but, but I love God. I want to I do what God's asking me to do. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet. And my heart's turned towards God. It's turned towards God. It's where it starts. It has to start accepting the Father. It has to start by saying, you know what? I'm going to turn my heart towards God and I'm going to set my feet on that path and let it unfold. Trust the Lord. Because once the Lord has your heart, everything else follows. Your time, your resources, everything, everything follows. It's like you, you engage with one another so that you can build the community of God, so that we can touch Laredo for the Father, so that, so that there's, there's a drastic wave I mean this, like a, a drastic wave of, of a move of the Holy Spirit that, that just cannot be denied in our city. Imagine what that looks like. But it involves you and me. It involves our heart. It involves us going, you know what? I'm turned towards God. In 2021, we don't know what's going to happen. But, but we're going we're gonna to pack his kingdom out with tax collectors and sinners. We're going we're gonna to pack his kingdom out with, with people who are still at the bar right now. We're going to pack his kingdom out with people whose lives are absolutely devastated and destroyed. We're, we're going to pack his kingdom out because that's what we're called to do is love God and love people.